me in your Bible or you've got it in the bulletin or I know many of you use your phone now to look up the word, but we're just looking at two verses tonight and they're familiar verses because we actually read them last week. We did a, a, a bigger chunk of scripture last week. We looked at verses 12 through 17, but this week I really want to hone in on this one particular portion of that paragraph and even more than that, I want to zoom in on this word bears witness that you see at the very end of the text. Or I guess I should say phrase there. It's two words. So if you would, I know there's been a lot of up down already tonight, but stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. And follow along if you would as I read for us Romans chapter 8 verses 15 through 17. Excuse me, 15 through 16. God's word says this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the meditations of all of our hearts in here and the words of my mouth as I speak your scripture would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. You may be seated. So, with family service, that means our kiddos are staying in for the sermon tonight. Moms and dads, I hope you saw on the back table we've got lots of activities, crowns, uh, pencils and pens. Coloring pages, I mean, stuff that I kind of want to just dip out on the sermon and go do. So if you haven't taken advantage of that for the kids in here, please do so. You probably brought your own stuff too. but um, And then also, I hope that you saw, you know, Carrie Davenport shared with us last week. She's our children's ministry coordinator. Like the, the why, the reason why we have these Sundays throughout the year where we have our kids stay with us the whole time. And she wrote a beautiful letter that's listed on our link tree right now that kind of explains the rationale behind it. And I'd encourage you, whether you're a parent or not, to check that out if you haven't seen it already. But with that being said, let's, let's get into this text here. It's building off of what we did last week. We did the, the, the broader paragraph and... You remember the, uh, the title of it was called Mortified by Love. And if I had to summarize just in a very succinct statement what our sermon, what the text was about last week, it was this. That when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he begins slowly but surely to put to death the things that don't belong there anymore as a new believer in Jesus. The, the sins, the brokenness, the greed, the idolatry that have been part of our lives. When the Holy Spirit comes, he starts methodically killing off those things. And the fancy word for it is mortification. It's, it's not an optional work of the Holy Spirit. It's a necessity when he's there, that's what he does. But what we also talked about is that the beautiful thing about his work is that he gives us this foundational motivation for killing off sin. He gives us the proclamation that we are children of God. And with that secure identity, that we're beloved sons and daughters of God Almighty, that's what propels us. That's what motivates us to be putting to death the sins 
lust and idolatry that don't remain in our life anymore. It's your sonship, your daughtership that propels that. So I hope that if you were here to hear that sermon, you came away invigorated uh, with this sort of fresh desire to be fighting sin in your life, to be putting to death the deeds of the body, or to quote uh, a Puritan pastor, a friend of mine reminded me, it's John Owen is his name. He has this quote. He says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And so I I hope that you came away with a, a fresh desire to see that happen in your life, and I hope that you saw triumph and victory and progress in your fight against sin this past week. But the question that we're going to grapple with today is, what if you didn't? What if you came away last Sunday excited for this new vigorous fight against sin, but you found yourself on Tuesday afternoon once again falling into the same habitual gossip, lust, greed, selfishness that you've struggled with for But what if you got to the end of the week, a Thursday or Friday, and you just had been so stressed out and so overwhelmed and so filled with anxiety, but all that was going on with work and family and in your neighborhood, you just just didn't have the energy to fight. You just said, I'm exhausted. I'm not going to resist this. I'm just going to give in. What if that is what happened for you this week? What does it mean? And does it? cause you to ask this question, am I really his child? See, when we fail, when we know better and yet we still find ourselves going back to our old taskmasters or falling into the same traps that we have maybe for decades, this is the question that oftentimes pops up in our head. Am I really God's child? Because we talked about it at length last week. If I have the Holy Spirit within me, if he's testifying that I'm God's child, it motivates me to put to death the things that are sinful. And if that didn't happen, then what might that mean? That I don't really belong to him. We have that question come at us from lots of different angles. And thinking about the sermon this week, what I sort of thought of was on the trajectory of 1 John that tells us we have three great enemies in life. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world often will ask this question of us, especially if we fail publicly. The world will say, you hypocrite. You really think God loves you? You really think God calls you his child? Our flesh, the parts of us that sometimes uh, are still struggling with following Christ, they'll start to cast doubt and discouragement and despair on our standing in God and say, am I really his child? And chief of all is the devil, our great ancient enemy, who is known by a lot of names in scripture, Satan, which means deceiver, Lucifer, but in the book of Revelation, he has another name. Revelation chapter 12, he's known as the accuser of the brethren, who accuses the brothers day and night. 
devil is well rehearsed in asking questions that accuse you and cause you to doubt who you are in Christ. He's been at it for an extremely long time. In fact, going all the way back to the book of Genesis at the very front of this book, the first recorded words we have from the devil, he's disguised as a serpent in the garden. He comes to Eve and he asks her a question. Do you know what it is? Do you remember? He says this, did God really say? And most of the time we focus on the fact that he's sort of questioning the truthfulness of God, but he's also doing something else there. He's saying, Adam and Eve, you're supposedly children of God whom he loves, that he's put into paradise, he's put into a blessed state, but isn't it funny that he's forbidden you to go to a certain part of the garden and eat of one tree? Huh, doesn't that seem like you're more of his hired servant than his actual beloved children. And the very thing that God had, had put in place, this prohibition against eating from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, it was for their good. It's because he's their father and he loves them. And the devil flips that on his head and says, doesn't that mean that you're not really his child? You're just his servant. Your enemy, the devil, has been at this accusation game long time and he's one that's constantly asking this question especially when you fail are you really God's child at our deepest darkest moments when we're struggling when we're discouraged when we're doubting when we're just have fallen on our face and sin we might be tempted to answer that accusation with a no I'm not his child how could I be? How could my failure possibly be reflective of being his child in any way? That what the world, the flesh, the devil is saying to us, it begins to make sense in our mind and we're ready to agree. But before the words can come out of our mouth saying, no, I'm not his child, the Holy Spirit intervenes. And while that no is still on your lips, the Holy Spirit steps in and he stops you bears witness to something else. Remember, that was the phrase that I wanted you to focus on in those two little verses, that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that what? You read it, didn't you not? Here's the, here's the cheat. That we are children of God. I know, maybe you're confused because you thought it was gonna be something out of left field, but no, we've been talking about this for three weeks. He bears witness that we are children of God. And you're like, Josh, we talked about that last week. Yes, we're children of God. He bears witness to it. What does that make you think of? What do, where do people bear witness? In court, in trials. And if you're thinking along that line, you are exactly on the right track. That is what the Bible here is wanting you to think of. It's using legal terminology because it's envisioning the Holy Spirit at court on your behalf, bearing witness for you. Isaiah is actually a really good thing, buddy. So when you're struggling, when you're failing, when you fall on your face, your identity in Christ is on trial. 
And the devil, the world, and the flesh are there in the courtroom hurling their accusations at you, presenting Exhibit A, Exhibit B, Exhibit C, all these evidences of your failure and that you don't deserve to be a child of God. And you know what? They make a pretty strong case. And if it was just that, it would be case closed. But here comes the Holy Spirit. He takes the witness stand, puts his hand on the Bible, sworn in. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes, I do. And he says, don't believe those accusations. They are false. Here's the truth. This person on trial, this son, this daughter is truly a beloved child of God. Don't believe anything that suggests otherwise. That's what bear witness here means. And some of you guys might know this, and I, I preached about it years ago, but this is actually picking up on what the Old Testament legal code required. In Deuteronomy, we're told that when a, a, a matter went to trial in Old Testament Israel, a case could only be established on the evidence of two or more witnesses. One person making a claim to the truth was not sufficient. That did not establish the truth. What was required was at least two. And so here, we've got in this verse saying that the Holy Spirit comes along, and yes, he testifies on our behalf, but it says he bears witness along with our spirit that we are children of God. Two witnesses. And the Holy Spirit is your corroborating witness, the one that comes along and says, I'm going to establish the truth of this case. This person on trial is a beloved child of God Almighty. No one can take that away from them. That's what the Holy Spirit bears witness to. And that's what he bears witness to even when you fall on your face in failure. I told the kids up here earlier that the Holy Spirit was awesome. <laughs> in fact, if there's anything that they remember, I hope that's the one takeaway. Pastor Josh said the Holy Spirit is awesome. Amen, kids. Here's the reason why. Because yes, the Holy Spirit, he motivates us, he compels us to be putting to death the sin and the idolatry and the things that aren't in keeping with God's truth anymore. But the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that compels us to mortify sin is also the one that picks us up when we fail. Who enters into the fray of all the accusations of saying, this isn't a true child of God, this is a counterfeit. And he says, no, this is a blood-bought child whom Jesus the Son died for. How dare you speak ill of them? I bear witness that they belong to the King. That's why the Holy Spirit is awesome. And here's maybe one more thing to add to the awesomeness is that these two ministries of the Holy Spirit, they feed each other. Because yes, I come out of here with this zeal last week to be fighting sin, to be compelled by my adoption, to put to death the deeds of the body, and then I fail. But it's in that failure when I realize that the Holy Spirit still has my back, still testifies that I'm a beloved child. Guess what that does? That motivates me to go once more into the fray, fighting against the sin and the brokenness that shouldn't be there. And knowing 
he won't disown me when I trip up, makes me ready to fight all the more. That's why the Holy Spirit is awesome. So if everything goes according to plan, those of you who have children in here will get a question tonight. You remember what it was? What does the Holy Spirit say about me? And it might be when you're saying your prayers before dinner or you're brushing your teeth before bedtime. I hope your kids remember to ask you that question. And if they don't, maybe give them a little, little reminder. But here's my strongest desire. That when you answer that question for them, when you tell them the Holy Spirit says that we're beloved children of God, that you don't do it just because you heard me speak this evening and are able to recite the right answer. And you don't do it just because you read a book or a devotional that taught you that somewhere. I pray that you're able to answer your kids when they ask that question from experience. Because you've heard the testimony of the Holy Spirit in your own heart. Because you've heard them when you've struggled and doubted. When you've heard them when you feel overwhelmed and beat down by the accusations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. That you're able to look your child in the eye and say... Holy Spirit testifies that we are beloved children of God, and I know that because I've heard him say it about me. My desire is that when we teach our kids, when we disciple them, we're not just reading to them from the answer book. We're sharing with them the things that we ourselves have known and seen and experienced. By God's grace, You've heard the Holy Spirit say this about you. Let's pray. Thank you for the Holy Spirit's ministry to us. Oh, Father, when we're at our highest and when we're at our lowest, when we're at our strongest celebrating his love, we're at our weakest wondering how it is we failed again. Lord, thank you that he never abandons us, but is constantly speaking the truth that we are your children, adopted by you, and will never, ever be let go. We praise you in the name of Jesus.